that's how you know Rob is the right financial advisor. Because wouldn't it be better if you're just not depriving yourself? Like, not enough people in finance say that. <laughs> My name's Alyssa. And my name is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels, the podcast where we bring in another expert to help you with your financial plans. Yeah, it's time. We've been getting <laughs> this like requested every day. <laughs> yeah, every day. And neither of us are financial planners, which surprises some people. But I, I do have an MBA in finance, but that's my only education. It was mostly focused on investing. They didn't teach us like anything about budgets or debt or like financial planning. And yeah, so I, I even use a f- financial planner. <laughs> exactly. I think you've used the one that's on the call with us today. I have. I'm so <laughs> excited. Welcome to Money Feels, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to chat with you today. Um, Usually the first thing we do before we introduce you fully, I'll do a little professional bio for you so that we're not like, here's our friend Rob. Um, (laughs) But how does your money feel today, Rob? Really good, actually. Um, This past year has been really chaotic because we built a house. And so a lot of our our finances were sort of on hold for like in a holding pattern for a while. And so now that we've kind of settled into our new reality, I've uh, got back to investing. And even as we approach the year end, I really love planning for, you know, the next year, like our spending plan for the year, where we're going to travel, financial goals and things like that. So I'm feeling pretty good. I was actually just saying that to my friend. I think that I'm a winter girl because it's goal setting season, not because (laughs) of the weather or like the season. I'm just like, yes, I get to set my goals for next year. It is goal setting season. How does your money feel, Alyssa? It feels not too bad. I've actually dialed back my spending quite a bit in September because summer we got carried away and we're just like falling back into our routine. So... I have no complaints today, which is, it's been a while, I feel like, since I've said that. (laughs) How about you, Bridget? You know, mine actually doesn't feel good, and I don't think I have a discernible reason why. Like, nothing in particular happened. I guess the stock market's had kind of a bad two weeks, and so I'm just feeling irrationally anxious about my money. I can kind of sense that in your Instagram stories. You're very <laughs> and your newsletter today, I was like, oh no. Oh yeah. Just I am so sad about the world. Yeah, I am delving into big economic economic crisis that can't be resolved. But no, like my personal finances, I don't know. I've just felt very anxious all week and it's not going away. So maybe maybe this episode will help because I can get free financial advice from Rob while he's on the call. <laughs> I know. I was like, all these people are really lucking out. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I'll introduce who Rob is now that he's told us a little bit about his experience building a house this year. And also, I love that you just were like, yeah, I paused my investments while I was doing that. Nice to hear from a financial professional that we all do that. Right. You have to give yourself permission to do those things as you have short-term goals to deal with. Exactly. Um, So Rob is a certified QAFP which I'm sure he'll tell us what exactly that is a little bit later in the episode. Um, He has over 13 years of experience, and he's written for publications like the Toronto Star, Young and Thrifty, Money Sense, lots more. And he promotes fee-only financial planning in Canada. Uh, He does comprehensive financial planning, retirement planning, investment analysis, cash flow optimization, all these big jargony things that we love and eat. (laughs) 
that we love. Yeah, and I've been friends with Rob for I think like ten years now, huh? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been around in the personal finance space. I think. Yeah, probably around the same time, right? I got started in 2010. Uh, with okay, yeah, we're the OGs. Yeah, yeah you are. Because right. <laughs> I think I first met you probably at one of the personal finance conferences, which it might have been in 2013, or was that the first yeah. one, or was it 2012? I think so. That sounds about right, 2013 in so Toronto? 10 years ago. I've known Rob for 10 years. <laughs> A Crazy. whole decade. <laughs> yeah. So the reason we wanted to bring you on, Rob, is because for one thing, you're very unbiased. That's the beauty of a fee-based uh, financial planner. And you're not ever selling anything. You're just you're just so genuinely here to offer good advice, which I think is something that a lot of people fear when they're reaching out to any sort of financial professional. Yeah. So I think first, you could just kind of tell us a little bit about your personal money philosophy and why you got into finance in the first place. Sure. So like I said, I started the uh, like a personal finance blog back in 2010. And this was back in the lots going on in my life, uh, lots of financial changes. I had just changed careers. We had just had our first uh, child um, a couple years before my wife actually got diagnosed with MS. And so there's just lots of things we were really navigating, um, lots of changes. My new workplace had a pension, whereas before I, I was in the private sector, so I didn't. Um, starting RESPs for my uh, oldest child. So there's lots going on. So I started reading personal finance blogs and um, I can't go to bed and, you know, you're like a prisoner in your own home for, for the night <laughs> and can't go out anymore. That, and so... Yeah, that's our yeah, life. <laughs> yeah. So I was reading personal finance blogs and pouring through the archives. And, um, you know, it, after a couple of months, I was like, I really liked writing. And so I thought, you know, I should uh, actually start writing my own, uh, share my own thoughts with the world. And, and that's how the blog started. And then very quickly after that, uh, about a year went by and uh, the Toronto Star had approached me to uh, write at their, uh, what they were calling, I think, Moneyville at the time. It was like their personal finance uh, site. I wrote there for a couple of years and um, started growing the audience, really. So I had like 10,000 email subscribers and I started Whoa. getting more questions like, um, you know, I write an article about RSPs versus TFSAs. And, you know, then I'd get an email that said, well, what about me and my unique situation? And <laughs> they'd write like three lines about themselves and I'd have no idea. Um, and so I started, uh, there was another fee for service or fee only planner who was doing a bit of writing for me at the time. And she was starting her own uh, fee only planning business. This is Sandy Martin at, uh, at Spring Plans. Um, and she encouraged me to sort of set up this business. I was still working full time, still working um, uh, in the public sector. I was doing this sort of off the side of my desk uh, part-time, but really as like a, like a hobby and a passion. And I introduced the service in 2014, started taking a couple clients a month, if that. Uh, but that really started to snowball. People liked it, uh, started referring their friends. I started getting other referrals online. And, uh, you know, eventually a few years later, probably a few years to maybe a year or two longer than I should have waited, uh, took the leap to do this full-time. Uh, so I left my public sector job. I've been doing this full time since 2019 and just uh, absolutely love it. That's amazing. I did not know like your whole background. I mean, I had read, I had been reading Boomer and Echo, which is Rob's blog since I since I started reading blogs. I believe yours and Bridget's <laughs> were one of the top yeah, the OGs, two that I always right? read. And, uh, yeah, the blogs kind of came and went, but um, you know, the consistent ones sort of stayed in everyone's uh, RSS feeds. If that was still, if that's still <laughs> people are probably like, what? 
Um, so we said you're a QAFP and you said that you started taking on clients. What does this all mean? What do financial planners do? What is your official job and certification? Yeah, so first, I think it's it's helpful to step back and say, well, what is the financial services industry traditionally in Canada? And that is um, an assets under management model, meaning they're going to sell you products, insurance, segregated funds, uh, mutual funds. They're going to manage that for you and uh, maybe not in most cases would give you uh, a financial plan uh, along with that. But now you're paying 1%, 1.5%. Oftentimes, two percent or more in in fees every single year, right? And then, more uh, problematic in my view is that that advisor's advice is tied to the products that are on their shelf. So, if you go to Green Bank, they're selling Green Bank's products, right? Which may not be in your best interest, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's a problem. So. Uh, as fee only advice, we call it, or I think now the term is advice only, is uh, is exactly that. We don't sell products; we just offer uh, unbiased financial advice, so we can look at your whole financial picture and um, you know give appropriate advice on a multitude of financial uh, decisions. So, um, who would look out or look for someone like that? Someone who, you know, where, where I find my sweet spot is someone who's comfortable DIY investing. And so if you can pair low cost, uh, do it yourself investing with um, an advice only plan, sort of on demand when you need it, you're going to save yourself tens of thousands, depending on when you start, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees over your lifetime versus that traditional model that's taking a percentage of your assets every single year. I'm glad that you mentioned that because something or question that I get all the time is, why do I have a financial advisor when I already know how to invest? And investing is really just one part of your whole financial picture. And it's really nice to have someone else, even as a second set of eyes to look over your own plans. Because I remember when I worked with you, Rob, even just the relief I felt that you sent back projections that matched my own calculations. I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm calculating things correctly and I can move forward. And I know for me, because I don't have a partner, I'm just a single parent, there's no one else that I bounce financial ideas off of. And so it's nice to speak to another professional, especially when you're making big financial decisions. And I know that's Another thing I recommend to people where they're like, when do I need a financial advisor? Anytime you're making a big lifetime financial decision, whether that's getting married, buying a house, having kids, it's nice to speak to someone and say, how do these numbers look? What should I be watching out for that I'm missing? And yeah, just basically get a second opinion and some guidance to blind spots you might have and things that you might not have thought of, or even just reassurance that you're doing the right thing. That's exactly it. Like oftentimes we'll have a big financial decision and instead of going in blindly, um, like a lot of people do, right? Like we get emotionally <laughs> charged in like buying a house or, you know, getting married and having kids. And then we don't have a plan. We just think, oh, I'll figure it out later. So if you have the kind of foresight to, um, you know, reach out for maybe a second set of eyes on your plan, like this is what I was planning to do. Tell me, am I crazy or uh, uh, are we on the right You're track? You're quoting my exact emails there. <laughs> right, like that's... Called out. But that is uh, that is exactly when you want to reach out for advice. And even if that advice is, yes, stay the course doing what you're doing, this makes sense. Like there's value in that. 
right? And so uh, there's a lot of my clients that are in that position where they're very kind of analytical engineer type mindsets where it's like, I just need a second set of eyes on my spreadsheet, on on my plan. Um, and I will say most most of the time, there's some small tweaks or whatever we're making to uh, to the plan. So it's not like totally just, you know, confirming what I'm already doing. Um, but, uh, but that's true. Even if you think you've got all of the, you know, you, you're completely financially literate and you've got all, uh, everything down pat, um, reaching out for a second set of eyes is never a bad option. Yeah. I also wanted to say what I help find helpful is like having a financial advisor can help with your money trauma. Cause I have really weird issues with Rob has seen my finances. So he knows that I will carry debt for no reason. I will hold back paying myself for my company or I do weird things like I'll pay myself on a biweekly schedule instead of just making a lump sum deposit to my RSP. And so just having someone else be like, you should do this instead. You should pay yourself this much, not like this little. And I'm like, oh, I, can I do that? And he'll just say, yes, you can. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it it is just really nice to have someone like maybe even help you overcome some of those hurdles where you're holding yourself back with your own money management. Yeah, it's the permission piece. Yeah. I, I was going to say too, I feel like another time that I always recommend that people reach out is when they do get like a lump sum sort of from a relative that's passed away or any sort of huge chunk of money coming their way and they don't know what to do with it. I'm usually like, don't ask me. (laughs) You're DMing me on Instagram. You should be reaching out to Rob. Here's his contact information. (laughs) But what are some of the other times that you typically would guide people to come speak to you when it comes to their finances? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the the lump sum of money. So whether it's an inheritance or I stole the property or a a large bonus or, or, you know, um, RSUs or something like that at work, um, those are big decisions that you need some some help on. And uh, the biggest one, honestly, my biggest sort of clientele is those uh, on the cusp of retirement, right? Like you can almost think about like the accumulation years are pretty straightforward if you have good money habits, right? If you're yeah. set, setting aside money, um, you know, you're, you're spending within your means, you're investing appropriately, like, you know, you've got 90% of this nailed down, but retirement planning is a whole nother beast, right? It's like, I have all these different income streams now that I need to sort of bring together, you know, fitting all the puzzle pieces together. So I've been saving in an RSP, I have a TFSA, I might have some non-registered assets, I might have a pension, or perhaps my, my spouse has a workplace pension. Um, then there's your government benefits, your CPP and your OAS, like, and then there's when you're going to retire. And if you retire fully, or if you retire, like, to part time or, or, or um, you know, 50% income, something like that. And so it's like, how do you fit all of these puzzle pieces together to create the lifestyle that you want to live? Because once you retire, the paycheck is gone, right? And so it's a huge, huge decision. And I'm glad you mentioned like the money psychology or the trauma. Yeah, Uh, my heart just dropped when you said paycheck is gone. I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, now what? (laughs) But but this is, and we might get into this later, but this is a big pattern I see with retirees is um, it is really, really difficult to turn off the savings taps and to turn on the spending taps. Mm. Um, You know, you've been contributing to your savings for so many years, for decades, and suddenly now you're no longer doing that and you're actually withdrawing from them. Right. Yeah. You're just uh, seeing your money go down, down, down. (laughs) Stop. Why are you guys saying that? I already (laughs) told you I'm like anxious about my money today. And now you're using words like that, Alyssa. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, like, when is it appropriate to start planning for your retirement? Like, actually, like, what age should you be thinking about these things? 
Usually with retirement planning, like obviously you should be setting aside some money for retirement sort of along the way, but you probably should be getting serious about it within like a 10 year, like the longer a runway you can give yourself to give yourself that clarity and give yourself time to either catch up. Or in a lot of cases, what I see is you think you have to work until 60 or 65, you reach out like 10 years before, and it looks like you could retire safely like in five years or six years. Like, you know, the good thing, the good news can happen out of this too. So the longer you sort of give yourself the longer runway, some surprising things can happen, uh, either catching up on savings or realizing that you might not have to work until until 65. And so I already know this because I've worked with you before, but can you give a walkthrough of what you do for a new client from the time they just email you and are like, hey, I received an inheritance or I think I need a financial advisor down to the plan that you give them and how often you follow up with afterwards? Sure. Yeah. So I'm probably a little bit unique in the advice only space. I'm with clients for an entire year. Some are just like per project or three months or something like that, but I'm with my clients for a year. Um, Of course, more of that heavy lifting is done in the early weeks that we're together and I'm getting to know you and gathering information from you about your current situation and your future goals. Um, So our initial meeting is just a discovery call, right? It's uh, free, no obligation. you're finding out about me and my philosophy and what the process is like. I'm finding out about you too, right? Because I'm I'm actually pretty picky about who I work with. Um, so there's not a lot of like zero hedge reading, Barry Gold in my backyard, <laughs> conspiracy theorists that because they're not going to take the advice and actually do something with it, right? Right. I'm not going to take yeah. my sensible evidence based recommendations and actually <laughs> do that when they think the world's going to end. Um, so there, it, it goes both ways, right? Um, assuming it's a good fit, we send out, uh, my wife and I work together. And so my wife will send you a package. It'll be kind of a questionnaire that, that, uh, intake, uh, form to tell me all about yourself and your finances. Um, I include kind of a budget worksheet just to understand what does it cost you to live your life. Um, and an agreement that outlines everything I'll do for you, right? So I don't manage your money. Uh, here's all the components of a financial plan, everything from like disaster proofing your life, uh, help with sort of cash flow management, like where is my money going, my extra cash flow, uh, to like investment strategy uh, and approach, and then that retirement plan, like how am I going to turn all this into income when I do retire? Um, and then so I send that back to you, you uh, put all that together, send it back to me, um, and then I go to work building out this plan. And I use some financial planning software, Canadian software to sort of model out what this looks like, right? You've told me where you are and where you want to go. I model that out. And the numbers really tell me a story, right? They tell me whether you're on a path that's going to lead you where you want to go, right? So now I can sort of point out the opportunities and the red flags that I see. And then I can address your questions sort of point by point, right? So you've got questions and you've got goals. And now I can sort of attach some commentary to all of them. And I draw in my writing background to just say, like, I want to give you plain language answers to your burning questions, not just here's some graphs and a chart that says you're going to be okay or not. I right? The graphs were my favorite part, though. Yeah, I want to do it just for that. Yeah, it, it is nice to see this spread out over your entire lifetime, which is kind of crazy to consider because a lot of us are just looking at the current year or maybe three or four or five years ahead at most. Um, so to play this out over time, and that's where, again, where the numbers tell me a story, it's like people get anxiety about like going on uh, parental leave and having yeah. income interruption and then having to pause their savings. Like, am I screwing myself over for retirement? 
seeing things this way, you see, oh, okay, I'm pausing for a few years. Maybe I have a few years of one-time expenses with daycare. And then here's where the savings or the cash flow starts to open up again and I can catch up and I'm going to be okay. Right? Like it's, uh, it's powerful to see that over like a big, um, uh, over the long term. And so how many meetings would you have with someone over the course of a year, especially, or, and then ongoing in the years following, how often do they need to update you with their assets, debts, income changes? So typically, so I'd send that report, I'd include a link to just book another Zoom call with me and we'd go through it together just to sort of see what I'm seeing. I can explain my uh, recommendations and next steps. And then I sort of call it the choose your own adventure because everyone's different, right? So like, like Bridget in, in what you talked about, which is like, I need confirmation that I'm on the right track <laughs> and you get that and you get All some- All my emails. <laughs> well, no, but you get some helpful like next steps. Yeah. We might not have very many follow-up meetings except to just kind of update me on your on your current uh, situation, right? If anything has changed. A lot can change in a year, but um, you know, for the most part, they're good. They don't need hand-holding. But for others that maybe are at a lower financial literacy level that are just looking to maybe break free from their you know 2% fee mutual fund advisor, the next meeting could be exactly that. So we meet... Um, I show them exactly how to like open that discount brokerage account, um, how to transfer their money over. Cause you know, a lot of people get anxious about like their money just being in the, in the abyss somewhere. It's <laughs> so scary. It's, it right? is actually so simple when you actually move your money from a mutual fund to a discount brokerage, but yeah. the fear it incites is it's very real. real. Absolutely. So I'll just do some virtual handholding, right? I don't, I can't click the buttons for you, but I'm, I'm <laughs> there sharing a screen and showing you where to go just so that you know, like, yeah, I, I have confidence that I'm you know, I'm not screwing this up. I'm not like withdrawing from my RSP. I'm transferring <laughs> it to another RSP, right? Things like that. And, and so I, you know, I say I work with regular Canadians with regular problems, but there's a lot of uh, sort of lower financial literacy where you just don't know these things. And until you've done them, until you've like, you know, transferred a pension to, you know, uh, a lira, or you've moved money from one, you know, one investment firm to another, like you just don't know what you don't know. And so, yeah. you know, these are all good times to sort of work with a professional who can who can help you do it. Um, Follow-up meetings from there could just be simple updates. Our year always, of course, overlaps a calendar year. So in January, I like to do a big update just to sort of, you know, put the previous year to bed, update your account balances. And I'm doing projections for like your salary too. So if something has changed, you know you're going to get a raise uh, or not, then we'll update your salary. Uh, maybe you have some changes in your one-time expenses that we can update. So it's just some constant fine-tuning, right? It's like the plan is a compass. You point it to where you want to go, but then you're out in, in the wild and um, you might take a shortcut or you might you know, get a flat tire. So you just need to update it uh, as you go. Uh, as When we get to the year-end mark, um, actually in most cases, surprisingly, the agreement ends, right? So 80% right. of my clients, I would say, it's a one-year engagement and sort of talks about um, uh, so, uh, I, I talked about this earlier, but, but it's, you've come to me with a certain set of burning questions, right? This life change, uh, or life event, and you're looking for some guidance, uh, a roadmap to follow. And, and you get that, at least that's what I hope as we're working together over the year. And then you just follow that. Like if your life isn't going to change now, it's on autopilot, right? You've, you've done the steps you need to do. You've moved your money. You've simplified your investments, 
you know exactly how much to contribute to your account. So unless something completely goes off the rails, um, you're probably good to just follow that. And so now what I'm seeing is those clients are maybe coming back to me in three, four, five years. Something's changed. We bought a house. Sometimes, you know, I've seen a divorce. Uh, I've retired and now I just need to move into that phase of my life. They're reaching out again and we just do it all over again. Uh, and in the 20% of cases, it's um, either just more moving parts in the plan, right? It's going to take longer than a year to fully implement, right? So a transition to, you know, move or, or retirement or whatever. And, or you just like having someone unbiased, right? If you don't have anyone in your life that you can just talk about this stuff with um, to bounce ideas off of, to keep your plan up to date and sort of keep you accountable, um, then you can renew for just half of the initial fee. So it's kind of like a retainer. On that note too, I'm really curious about what the fee structure is and the transparency piece, because you've mentioned like that if you're working with a traditional institution, you're going to pay those high fees. So can you explain the fee structure and how it's different from that commission-based financial advisor? Yeah. So advice only would typically charge by project. So the project for me is I work with you for a year. So my fees are $1,800 for individuals or $2,100 for couples. And, um, I would actually call that sort of on the low end of the scale when you're looking at advice. That's only very funds. low, Rob. You yeah, and the reason, but the we reason is, I'm tar- my, I guess my target market is that mass market, right? Yes, that yes. can't access the. There are good. I don't want to paint financial advisors who manage money under one bad brush. There are really good ones. It's just most of them have like a million dollar or two million dollar sort of minimums to work with them. So it's really hard yeah. to get access to them. Yeah. So what do you do when you have less than five hundred thousand dollars? You go to the bank or you try to fumble through and do it on your own. Um, and even if you figure out how to successfully DIY invest, you still have all the financial decisions to make on your own. So these are yeah, the people I can I'm teach people the investing, with. but they still yeah. need advising with the rest. Yeah, exactly. And you probably get those questions all the time, right? And then you're like, I, I can't, I, like, I don't know anything about you other than, you know, you know how to buy an ETF in your TFSA. Like, I don't know the answers to these. <laughs> you know, big life, mm-hmm. uh, uh, life event kind of questions. Which at the end of the day is what money is for. Sorry, Alyssa, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just very behavioral. Like what your role is, is to manage that behavioral finance piece. Yeah. So the other advice only planners, which there are, uh, there are excellent advice only planners in the space, uh, charging again per project, uh, typically working with more affluent um, or people with more complicated situations. So they have a corporation, um, they have sort of multifamily type of generational wealth uh, that they're managing or, you know, they're dual citizens with complex kind of foreign assets, right? So these are the ones I don't tend to work with, uh, but there are really good advisors that do that. And you'd pay upwards of 5000 to 7500 maybe even more uh, to work with these individuals. But a lot in a lot of cases, they, these advice-only planners have entire teams with this type of expertise. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So what what should we be looking for? in a financial planner, because we've mentioned red flags in our own finances. What about <laughs> the people that we're trusting with our finances? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm biased in the sense that I think the by removing the product sales from advice, yes, that you're going to get a more holistic, sort of un, that unbiased uh, view of your finances. And so I think advice only when you know you can pair it with low-cost do-it-yourself investing. Like if, you're, if you have that mindset of, I can do the investing piece, um, I need help with the financial decision-making, then I think you'd want to reach out to an advice-only planner at those stages of your life where you need to make 
important decisions. Right. So I think that makes sense. And then what to look for is uh, obviously credentials. Right. So, you know, the CFP is the gold standard, but anything, you know, if it's offered under the, under the umbrella of Financial Planning Canada. So they have the CFP and the QAFP, which I hold. Um, and by the way, the QAFP is like I wrote the exact same national exam that the CFPs uh, wrote um, on 75 percent of the curriculum. And the remaining 25 percent you carry on and take. Uh, what's called the advanced uh, curriculum, which deals with the U.S. or like the dual citizens or U.S. assets with the corporate, all the stuff that I don't work with, right? So <laughs> that's where I'm sort of comfortable in my uh, sandbox. Um, there's a whole alphabet soup of letters out there uh, that, that have other, um, uh, other designations with other meanings, uh, mostly related to either selling insurance or managing your uh, money and becoming like a discretionary portfolio manager. So if yeah. you're the kind of person that is not um, cut out for do-it-yourself investing, and not everybody is, right? You're a busy professional and you want to uh, delegate this off to someone else, then what you'd still be looking for is low fees, evidence-based uh, advice. It's not someone saying, I've got this secret black box of beating the market for the last 20 years, <laughs> right? Like, no, like no, no one can credibly and consistently do that, right? So someone that believes in the evidence of, on low cost indexing um, and then can focus more on the financial planning uh, side of things, the more important side of things. So have more, have a few meetings um, and really kind of what I said about the, the uh, zero hedge gold, uh, gold bug, um, <laughs> You want to know if your philosophy sort of jives with the advisor's philosophy, right? Um, and I find this especially true when, uh, for women. Um, talk to this advisor. If the advisor is talking down to you or is talking to the, you know, your partner and not, you know, responding to your needs or even addressing you, like that's a huge red flag. Um, so you should have a few meetings and just you really want to be able to connect with this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the keywords too is like your the difference is selling and advice. Very, yeah. Two very different things. Yeah. What are you looking yeah. for? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like most of those high fee products, they're sold. They're not, you know, no one's coming going, hey, I heard you have great whole life policies. Right? Like <laughs> someone sold that to you. Yeah, I wanted to make uh, two comments on that. I'm glad you brought up both the CFP and the QAFP because there are so many different financial designations in Canada and financial advice is a largely unregulated industry, which is kind of scary Mm -hmm. when you think about it. But basically anyone can tell you anything they want with no repercussions. So it is important to seek out those specific credentials that are for financial planning because there are still financial experts or people with good financial educations like accountants or myself with an investing education, but that doesn't necessarily mean they can adequately do financial planning. So the QAFP or the CFP is really important. And then I also wanted to say, like, I like that you said to have a few meetings and see if you just vibe with them, because I think the approach to finances is so important because you want someone that's going to, like, help you live the life that you actually want with your money, not push you to save more than is really necessary, not make you crazy about your debt or your financial goals. If you're like, Oh, I want to buy a cottage or something. And they're like, no, that's stupid. That's a waste of money. Like that's not good. And what I've always liked um, 
about your advice is I think you have a great approach to using your finances to live the life that you want. And even if that means like, yeah, you're not going to end up with the biggest portfolio when you die, but that's not the point. The point is to get the lifestyle and the experiences that you want for yourself and with your family and to use your money to do that, not simply to try to amass as much assets as you possibly can. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I get to work with hundreds of retirees, so I get to see the other side. So, so often we're saving to get to this point, right, where we can retire and sort of live large. And I can tell you with almost like 90% confidence, um, you're not going to spend as much as you think in retirement. Like, again, that transition (laughs) from saving to spending is incredibly difficult. And I see it in practice, right? You're, you become addicted to the financial news. So when the market yeah. moves down in one day, you're anxious about having to make a withdrawal, you know, that month. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's true, right? Like that money trauma that you sort of carry with you, the reason why you were frugal and a good saver is going to work against you in retirement and you're not going to be able to save. So I use the, um, what economists call consumption smoothing. Right. It's like, yeah, I, I love that. Let's say, let's say you have the, let's say you live comfortably on like $50,000 a year. Right. And you're a good saver. You have a good income. And it turns out in retirement, you're going to be able to spend $100,000. Like that sounds awesome. Right. Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. live at this level and then I'll be able to retire and live large and just open up the spending taps. Um, you'll never be able to do it. Like you will never <laughs> be able to spend that much money. You're like, oh, my pickleball membership's only $200. <laughs> my pickleball membership. <laughs> <laughs> right? But um and maybe you take an extra vacation or whatever and you bump your spending up to 60,000, right? In like a best case mm-hmm. scenario. But yeah. like you're not going to spend 100,000. You're just not going to just suddenly stop being a good saver. You're going to continue <laughs> to max out your TFSA, right? You're just not going to spend that money. And so I'd much rather So if that was the base case, if you were spending 50 and you're going to have the ability to spend 100, what would it look like if you spent 75 the whole way? Yeah. And of course, like adjusting with inflation. Suddenly, you're living a lot better during your working years, right? You're not feeling so tight, like I can't take that vacation or I can't put my kids in these activities or whatever. Um, can't eat out at the restaurant this uh, this month because we're over budget. Oh, the right? noble sacrifice for the portfolio, yeah. right? <laughs> right. So wouldn't it be better if we did not deprive ourselves in any phase of our life, right? The, the flip side is true, right? You can't spend 100 all through your working years and then expect mm-hmm. that you can just live on 50 because who cares about 65-year-old me? You, know, you can't <laughs> do a disservice to you know your future self. But wouldn't it be better if you were just living kind of consistently, you know, at, uh, and, and not depriving yourself at any life stage? Yeah. See, I love that. That's how you know Rob is the right financial advisor. Because wouldn't it be better if you're just not depriving yourself? Like, not enough people in finance say that. Yeah. And you just scared me, though. You're like, you don't care about your 65 year old self. And then I just realized I will be 65 one day. Like, I don't think I ever really actually (laughs) (laughs) haven't been able to grasp that concept yet. Well, the other thing I think about when I work with younger people is your goal should be you know, it's hard to project like 30 years out in the future, right? Like you'll be a completely different person. Uh, you might have changed careers multiple times. Like like a lot of things could be different. What you want to do is give future you options. Yeah. So if you're 30 years old and you take some steps so that 35-year-old you or 40-year-old you has options to change careers, to have a family, to buy a home, to move provinces, right? Like that's what, isn't that what this is all about? We want options in life. Right. And then 40 year old you, 
is going to set the stage for 45-year-old you or 50-year-old you, right? So that you could maybe retire early or maybe change careers or something like that. Um, I so, like it. you know, move, take your, you know, take these bite-sized chunks of your life. And I think you've talked about that, Bridget, like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. Like I'm not looking 40 years down the future. It's like impossible to predict where I'm going to be, but I have a sort of a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and I'm going to set future Bridget up or Alyssa up for success. Yeah. Especially because I think one of the important things in your financial plans is that there's resilience, but also flexibility because so many of the things that happen to us in our lifetime that have a drastic impact on our finances are largely out of our control. There's unexpected illnesses. You can be unexpectedly widowed. Like all these different things can happen and those have catastrophic effects on our finances. And there's no way to like really put them in. You're like, oh yeah, my partner is going to die when I'm 57 years old. Like you don't want that in your financial plan, but you no. want a financial plan that's responsive to those things that you'll still be okay financially, even if these things happen. And I, I shouldn't have been so dark with that because sometimes really good unexpected things happen to you. Maybe you get an unexpected inheritance of $700,000 when you're 44 and you're like, this changes everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe you build a business that ends up being super successful and that throws all your plans out of whack. So it can be positive yeah. things as well. And you just need a plan and a financial planner that's willing to work with you to adjust as your circumstances change with time because they 100% will. You can't create a financial plan at 30 or 47 and be like, I'm done. I never have to do this again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've I've worked with clients who retired. Their plan was uh, I'm retiring at the end of 2019. And then I've got all these travel plans and I'm going to do this and that. And then COVID (laughs) like completely through, like no one has that in their financial plan, a hundred, you know, once in a century pandemic and uh, 34% drop in your portfolio in one month that like living through that again, this is the anxiety of the, of the freshly retired. Um, yeah. you don't think that that's going to retire when we're in our thirties and forties. We're like, yeah, you know, that's a buying opportunity. Uh, you don't think that at, <laughs> yeah. at 65. Right. And so, yeah, you do have to build that resilience in, but I will say like the people that are coming back to me in three, four five years, uh, because I have the benefit of having their initial plan is I can look at what were we projecting you know, back then for where you right. are right now. And in, I'd say like a hundred percent of the cases, they're in a better position, right? And that could be because we're conservative with the income projections or mm-hmm. conservative with their investment uh, returns. And so they actually are in better, uh, better position, but we built in sort of conservative guardrails in case things don't go according to plan. You know, they're not going to be out on the street. Ah, that's nice. I like so funny, Bridget, when you're like, I should be thinking about the positives too. We were just talking about that in our house, how anytime one of us says something super negative, now we have to, we have to say out loud, like what the complete opposite could be. <laughs> like, what if I don't make any friends? What if you make 700 friends? Oh yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's so true in financial planning though, because a lot of times the people, especially people with a lot of money, trauma or anxiety, they're Always wanting to know, give me the worst. What if I retire and a great financial crisis happens? What if I retire and the Great Depression happens? You know, and I, I like turning that around to say, like, I'm forever an optimist. And, you know, what if you retire and everything goes great? Like, how will yeah. you live your life? That's what I want to know. Like, okay. How are you going to live okay. your best life? Okay. I, I, and I'm very pro-positive thing. I know I'm in an anxious week right now, but hear me out for a second. The chance that you're going to experience, like, an economic crash or 
uh, recession in your retirement is basically 100%. So that has to also be built into <laughs> the plan. Like you're going to be retired for 20, 30, 40 years. And we can't have this expectation that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to save all this money and then I'm set. It's good. It's like you will probably see your portfolio drop 15, 20, 30% at one point or another, probably like three or four times because that's how the stock market works. So just wanted to put that out there because I'm full of the cheer today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it more of a forever pessimist wrong. type of mindset. Of like, <laughs> yeah. Is it all going to go wrong? Yeah. That's something that's outside of your control though too. Like if you've already built the plan and you're doing things the way you were supposed to do them, then you should still be okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so we know that Rob's amazing and you were saying like spend your money, which we love hearing. Uh, thank you so much for the permission. <laughs> Where do people find other advice only financial planners? Because I even struggle to find them. I've had a few people reach out and say like, I'm in Northern Ontario. I can't find anyone here. Do they need to be in my province? Does it matter? So where do we go? if you're you're going to be so busy after this this podcast episode so it's a, it's a good question um because that that's a perception that a lot of people have is that we still like meet face to face with our advisor um most advice only planners I, most financial planners in general now are having zoom meetings and so you don't have to be um you can be geographically separated right and so the only province that becomes uh, potentially uh, tr- uh problematic is quebec um, and it's a lot of advisors. So just won't work I feel with. so bad. They're always like, we're so left yeah. out. <laughs> I have a few clients yeah. in Quebec, but again, because I'm dealing with more, um, uh, you know, simple, uh, uh, cases, uh, Quebec just is another, another beast. So, uh, I would look for someone in Quebec or at least has that expertise. Um, but you kind of want to pair it with your particular case, right? So I'm, you know, regular Canadians, regular problems. So it's usually like T4 salaried employees, that don't have, you know, they're not dual citizens and they don't have complicated uh, sort of finances, but some people specialize in US, like cross-border finances, right? So you have business or foreign assets or you get paid in US dollars. Uh, there's an advice-only planner for you. So where do you find them? I find a really good website is adviceonlyplanners.ca. Uh, um, I'll link it in so, the show notes for people. <laughs> yeah, so that's a really good one. Uh, John Robertson, who blogs at the Holy Potato, he keeps uh, oh, a yeah. track of like a massive Google Doc of financial uh, advisors, fee-only advisors. And uh, I believe it's in the directory, which he simplified as value of simple, fee-only. Like if you Google that, you should be able to find it. Um, and then I know the, the mutual fund company Steady Hand has been working with a lot of fee-only advisors, and they now have a, a directory as well. So Steady Hand, fee-only advisors. Uh, there are no affiliation, but um, but he maintain uh, they maintain a, a directory. Uh, don't need to be in the province, uh, I would say, unless you're you're in Quebec, um, and and then that's how you would that's how you'd find someone. That's perfect. Yeah, it is like it's overwhelming because you don't want to go to the wrong place and find the wrong person, or feel like you're wasting all this time searching for someone that doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad because I've had a few people reach out and they said, you know, I, I worked with a fee-for-service uh, advisor in the past and it just wasn't really a good fit for me, right? So uh, you do need to interview a few just to, again, to make sure that you vibe and, and uh, you're, on, you're on the same page with what you want to do. Like there's a f- advice-only planner who specializes in people who invest in real estate. That's not me, right? Yeah. But it's someone that works with those. So you want to you pick someone that's, you know, kind of meshing with your style. Um, and then there's some people masquerading as fee for service advisors or advice only planners. And so sadly, 
the kind of lure you in with, I'm fee for service, I'll do a plan for you. And then, oh, by the way, you can invest your money with me. No. And they want to, you know, manage your money and take a percentage, which I think is, is horrible. Uh, but that exists out there. So again, you need to sort of be willing to meet and sort of ask the right uh, questions. And one of those is how do you get paid? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In a lot of senses, it's like finding a therapist. Like you're never going <laughs> to find your f- therapist on the first try. It just It's just not going to happen. Okay, so my last question, and then we're going to get into some listener submissions from our Patreon subscribers because they had a lot of great questions, which I think will be fun to steal some free advice from you, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my last question for you is, what advice would you give right now, like blanket statement, because you're our guy, is what would you say to people given the current economic climate? Like a lot of people are really stressed about their money and don't know what to do. Yeah, I like uh, Morgan Housel's advice on uh, save like a pessimist and invest like an optimist. Like we will I get love through. Morgan. Yeah, we will get through these times. And of course, this depends on your age and stage of life and what um, sort of financial implications are at stake for you. Um, if you're someone who's stressed about uh, upcoming mortgage renewal, right? I'd be leaning towards shoring up that emergency fund. You know, paying down. If, if you have any consumer debt, you know, paying that off, right? More so than I got to plow money into the market, like get ready for the coming storm in a sense, right? So that's your saving like a pessimist. Uh, I want to be able to sh- make sure I can handle this, uh, you know, this change in, in, in interest rates. Um, but uh, when it comes to investing and, and, and Bridget, you may agree with this is, um, you know, there, you shouldn't change your strategy based on the current market conditions, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like you talked about, we will experience a market downturn, you know, very often, you know, a couple times a decade. And yeah. so if you're always constantly like, oh, I got to be in tech now, and then everything's crashing, <laughs> so I'm going to go into cash. And then, you know, and then I heard gold or, you know, whatever is going to be the next thing. Like, that's a recipe for disaster and you'll never be able to consistently time those movements right. So mm-hmm. find a risk appropriate allocation that works for you. Keep your fees low, stay invested and contribute regularly. And I think that's uh, that's the best advice. I love it. Perfect. And that's just the theme of today's episode, pessimism and optimism. <laughs> At least we've got the optimism now. Yeah, there's a healthy right. mix in here. <laughs> okay, so we'll dive into these questions. One of the first ones that we got, actually got this one multiple times, which I think is really interesting, um, is what's the biggest difference between the advice that you'll give to single people versus those that are in couples? Because a lot of people are saying like, there's so much advice out there for people that are in relationships but for those of us who are single, can't find anything. I love this question because everyone complains that I don't give advice for couples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get this a lot because uh, I'm married and, uh, and so I, I write a lot about my own personal finances. And let's, let's be honest, I actually had someone write a post on my site that was about tax saving strategies. And six of the seven were, you need a partner to be able to do this. Oh, I think that's better. <laughs> well, but, it, but it's true. Like singles just yeah. don't have the ability to split income. And so things are doubly hard for, uh, yeah. for individuals. I just wrote a post uh, the, the other day about, uh, can you buy a home as a single? Because I'm seeing a lot of my single clients who are aspiring to home ownership. Uh, it's really tricky, right? You got to save up the appropriate down payment. Um, and you have to take on the entire burden of that mortgage and the phantom costs, right? Yeah, your so, income has to qualify alone, which is very, very right. hard as a single person. 
really, really tricky. So even like in a, you know, a market that's not Toronto or Vancouver, you know, if you're looking at a 400 or $500,000 or even a condo or townhouse, uh, that's still, you have to qualify on your own. You need to come up with a down payment and you need to be able to pay that mortgage and the property taxes, insurance and maintenance and still save for retirement because you're still by yourself and you need to be able to fund your retirement. And so it's really tricky. So the advice is, um, to really on a case by case basis, really be careful about those big major decisions like buying a home, mm-hmm. uh, like being able to retire super early, right? So imagine a single retiring at 55, like that's 35, 40 years of funding your own consumption with no one, mm-hmm. um, stepping in, no, you know, um, your, you know, your spouse passes away and their assets pass over to you and you can carry yes. on, you know, uh, you know, living with that. Uh, it's really tricky. So just have to be more prudent. You have to be able to, you know, like less satisfying answers are like earn, earn a higher income. Uh, be really careful about the amount of uh, house you purchase or the amount of debt you take on. Uh, be willing to work longer than, uh, than you may like, like to. And then probably the least satisfying answer is find a partner right, to <laughs> yeah. share expenses with, you know? So. I think it's yeah. so interesting too, because Bridget, you were saying like the whole, one of the whole reasons you reached out to Rob is because you just needed that second set of eyes, which yeah. if you are single, you don't have that. So maybe it's like even more beneficial if you're single to find that fee-based or advice only planner. Who I can think so. Help you. And I do just want to say to all my single people who are doing those big things alone, like while it is daunting to have to take it all on it yourself, there is also an element of risk that's removed. There's no one spending from your bank account without your knowledge. There's no one racking up credit card debt that you don't know about. There's no one else's bad credit score that you have to worry about. And there's no risk of divorce if you're not married. So there's a lot of aspects where even though it's harder to do some things as a single person, there are some risks that are removed because I think all the data really indicates financial and otherwise that being single or in a partnership isn't necessarily better or worse, but it's those relationship breakdowns that are really catastrophic to uh, finances. So you can still have a really successfully financial single life and there's no risk of a relationship breakdown, whereas other people might have some of the advantages of being married, but there is an element of risk or at least a lot of compromise and negotiation. Because even in a couple, the amount of compromises and going back and forth about like, do we renovate the basement this year? What color can I paint the walls? Is this an appropriate amount to spend on a vacation? Do you even want to go on vacation? And <laughs> like you guys know my secret pleasure is like the fire subreddits and the number of posts that are like, I'm fire, but my partner is not on board. What do I do? It's like hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's huge, that's right? Especially true. in retirement. Like why retirement's so tricky financially, but it's also like you need to have the same vision, like a shared vision yes. with your with your partner. Otherwise it can end in disaster. Um, and then I'm glad you brought up the risk of a partner doing, you know, sabotaging your own finances because sadly I've had conversations with people reaching out to me that said like, my husband quit his job and started day trading our retirement oh, accounts. Oh, no. Took out a line of credit without me knowing, you know, like there's some serious, you know, uh, stuff out there that um, can really derail your finances. And this is like a retirement that's basically ruined because of, you know, some bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. See, 
the price of being single is just the cost of happiness and it's worth paying you guys (laughs) on that note um another question is how do you plan for retirement after going through a messy divorce (laughs) is that really the next question (laughs) yeah it's one of them (laughs) yeah so i think obviously you need to kind of take stock of where you're at if there's been a division of assets already like you need we need all the information first so if i'm dealing with someone who's Mm -hmm. just coming off of a divorce i need to know like what is your new reality right are you uh, giving up or receiving assets, uh, what's happening with the home if you were in one and, that, and that's uh, been divided out, um, and just kind of take stock of where you're at. Um, and it's almost like you got to start from zero in a sense of making a new financial plan and going on your own. And uh, what does that look like? Where do you want to live? How do you see yourself um, you know, progressing, whether through your career? It depends on what stage uh, of life you're at, right? Um, Stakes can be really high for what they call gray divorce, right? If you're getting divorced quite late in life, um, you know, especially if you're the one losing the half your assets, uh, it can be it can be really tricky. So I don't know. It's just a sense that's a great time to reach out to a planner and just sort of say, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to go. What is it like? What do I need to do? Do I need to work longer? Um, you know, what um, what red flags and opportunities do you see ahead? Yeah, I like that. Um, and then there's one last relationship question, <laughs> which is what would you say to to people that are in a relationship who do not combine their finances at all? Do you have any advice or ideas for what they could do? Yeah, I first send the paper that said you're going to be a lot happier and more su- have a more successful marriage if you do combine your finances in some in some way, <laughs> shape or form. Um, it just, you're making, I'm a big believer in simplicity and by not doing that, you're just creating complications and potentially boundaries that, uh, might not be healthy for the long term. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of having your own separate account. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I love the joint account where all income flows, bills get paid and then you pay each other, like you pay yourselves your guilt-free spending money where it's no partner is looking hands, you know, I can do what I want in this account without any, you know, shame or, or uh, somebody looking over my shoulder. Uh, that's a system that I've seen work really successfully. Uh, it's not to say that separate finances can't work. And there's sometimes there's very good reason to have separate finances, right? Especially uh, like second marriages. Um, but it, it makes your life a little more, uh, more complicated. So mm-hmm. um, combine if you can, and even if there's income disparity, you know, you can still come up with that proportional, you know, here's what my spending is going in here. My, my guilt-free spending might be a little bit higher. Um, you got to decide what's fair uh, as a couple. Um, but, uh, but I think a great starting point is that joint, uh, joint checking account. Well, and do you have a lot of couples that come in that do have differing opinions on things? Like, I feel like that would be a great <laughs> time where it's like, if you're single, you want the second set of eyes. If you're in a relationship, you want that unbiased third party to come in and mediator. say, this yeah. is what you should do. Money mediator. Um, both of you are wrong. <laughs> both of you are wrong. <laughs> Sometimes, right? Like people are funny, right? We all have our own peculiarities about how we manage money and how we think about it. And oftentimes it is like I'm talking to two different people that are in the relationship that may have a shared vision, but they're just at either at different stages of financial literacy, or like you said, they have different uh, ideas about, you know, I was just talking to one that's like, do we sell this rental property, you know, or, you know, or do we continue to collect the rental income? 
or do we sell it so that we can do these other things, right? And that's like one wants to do this and the other one wants to do that. So I have to come in and give sort of the financial um, uh, recommendation that says, well, it would make more sense if you did, you know, if you did this. That's good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, okay, so a few other ones are more specific, but this one, I just like this question in general. Um, someone asked what the top two mistakes are that you see most people make with their money. I mean, if you don't have a plan, you're probably trying to bite off more than you can chew in the sense of, um, we always have a lot of short-term goals or, or things that we want to aspire to. Okay. So I want to retire at 45 because I, I love this idea of fire. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to fund my, I see this a lot, which is like so focused on their kids, right? I want to make sure oh, they've yeah. got like, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars for post-secondary <laughs> and whatever they want. Meanwhile, their own retirement accounts are empty. Um, yeah. Trying to do too much, right? Like too fast and not giving yourself like, permission to kind of step back and say, okay, well, I need trade-offs, right? If, what is the most important thing? Like prioritizing your goals. Um, that, that would solve a lot of this. If you said, okay, well, this is the number one thing and I'll catch up to that one later, right? Like even the RESP, you can catch up later. If you have to deal with childcare and income interruption and all that right up front, the RESP can wait, right? And if you, you know, you need to buy a new car, well, then what else is going to go, right? If you're going to be paying, yeah. you know, 800 bucks a month for a car, Something's not getting funded. You can't do it all. And I actually find people get into debt uh, trying to do all, even though they're contributing to their retirement accounts, they're like, I'm actually in credit card debt or I've been dipping into the line of credit. Well, it's because they haven't like taken a step back and said, I can't do all of these things at once. So that's number one. I think number two is thinking like a number is going to solve all of your problems. Like once I hit a million dollars <laughs> or $2 million, then... Then I'm going to turn into that spender or then I can ease up at work or whatever that is. It's like, you know, the dollar amount is going to change your money psychology. It's not going to change your uh, relationship with money. What are you going to want? You're going to want a little bit more, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Called out. <laughs> and not even that. It's like uh, people think, what is the number so that I can retire? And it's... It's more complicated. There's more nuance than that, right? It's like your spending really drives the plan. I talked about the $50,000 yeah. versus the $100,000. Like, which one are you? Um, because $2 million will fund this one without breaking a sweat. Uh, it might not fund this one, right? So, you know, that number could even be a moving target. And then have you even factored in CPP and OAS? Because those are going to be significant uh, dollar amounts to you in your, in your old age. Um, that we don't really assign a present value to, right? It's a future mm -hmm. income mm -hmm. stream, but we don't think, oh, I have another $500,000 in future CPP money coming right. to me. Right, yeah. And we don't think about that. Yeah, I think this is like all extremely good advice as we do head into the goal setting season because a lot of it is just like you have to narrow your focus probably a lot more than you realize. Mm -hmm. Like the specifics are hard to come up with. There's a really good rational reminder podcast about uh, goal setting. And the research said like, we are terrible. Humans are terrible at setting goals. Like we come up, we can't even come up with goals. And I get that sometimes in my financial planning, like questionnaires, like I'm asking for your top three goals. And like, I don't really have any goals. I'm like, well, why are you reaching out? Like, um, <laughs> you, you have to have something you're striving towards, whether it's short term or, or, or long term. And so the exercise that they taught, which I think could be helpful going into what you call uh, your goal setting season, 
is write down your goals, like as many as you can think about, um, sort of put it down and come back to it an hour later and try to double it. Like we need to come up with more goal because it, we're, what we're terrible at is not the goal setting. It's like, we're terrible at thinking of where we want to be, like, where are we going to go? Um, who do we want to become? Like, we're not good thinking about our future self. Yeah. And so this forces us to sort of think about, okay, well, you know, if I'm thinking about future Alyssa uh, and what she wants to be doing in 10 years, how am I going to get there? And then start there with your goals and then try to like double that. Um, to see like in an ideal world, here's where I'm going to be in 10 years or, or, or 20 years. And here's the things I have to do to get there. And then you go to, to the exercise of like prioritizing them, right? I can't yeah. fund 20 goals um, <laughs> next year. So what are my top three? And so I was I maybe end with my philosophy on saving, which is um, optimize your RSP, meaning optimize within your tax bracket. For some, that could be zero, right? If you're in a lower tax bracket, you're in a high tax bracket, obviously you might be maxing that out. Uh, maximize your TFSA, right? So that's an account that should be fairly easy to fund. Uh, and if you're behind, the maximize means uh, focus a period of time to catch up, right? So mm -hmm. catching up on unused room over a period of time. Um, and then prioritize your short-term goals. So that list of 10 or 20 goals, I need to prioritize a couple of these so that I can have the funds to optimize my RSP, maximize my TFSA, and then I can focus my extra cash flow on these things. Because I get that, you probably get that question a lot too, is like, my RSP is maxed out, my TFSA is maxed out, what's next? Those goals, that's what's next. Right? Yeah, no, they always want another account and I'm like, spend your money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or you're not thinking of something that's coming on the horizon, like you're just like, you're, you've got your head in the sand, like you're going to need a new car in a year. Or, you know, you do have this, big ticket sort of item or a renovation or something coming up, like you need to start saving for that. It's not just going to magically fund itself. That's so funny because the next question is currently have a TFSA, RSP, RESP, FHSP, all maxed. <laughs> oh my gosh. All my other funds are in an unregistered account. They're okay. all in robo funds though. So they're wondering how they can move them from an unregistered to a self-directed without paying taxes. Okay. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. You'd, you'd find the brokerage account, like the discount broker that you want to work with. Uh, you'd open a brand new uh, taxable account or non-registered account. And then from there, from that self-directed platform, you'd initiate a transfer from your robo uh, unregistered account. And you can do that two ways. You can do it in cash, meaning the robo would sell everything in there, but that triggers a taxable event yeah. if you have a capital, capital gains. Um, so that's what you'd likely want to avoid. The second method is you can transfer it in kind. And so, you know, if you're at a Wealthsimple, for example, and they have all their ETFs, sell it in, or transfer it in kind, meaning all those ETFs will just move over to your brand new account. And from there, you can do what you want to do. So uh, I've worked with clients where we've done this, we've transferred in kind. And then you can go through and sort of prune the seven or eight ETFs that you own, like maybe one's in a loss position, but maybe one's in a gain and those would offset. Right. And maybe you're doing this over like three years if it's like a big taxable gain kind of position. So that's where you'd work with an advisor or an accountant to say, uh, what's the most optimal way to like unwind this and put it into what I actually want it to be in um, without like incurring a, a bunch of taxes. Sometimes we just think it's a big taxable uh, position, but 
it's not really like for, <laughs> yeah it's like three hundred dollars like we think of like cap when we think of capital gains they think of it it's all of it will be taxed at 50 percent, but it's like no just half of it 50 percent of it of the gain is taxable at your marginal rate yeah right? so sometimes we just kind of trip ourselves up in in those big numbers Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you just pay taxes and that's okay. Sometimes yeah. tax, taxes are the cost of getting the outcome that you want. And that's the reality we all have to accept. Because yes. those taxes were due sometime in the future, right? It's just deferred capital gains. So if you're triggering them now, then you start fresh, right? Your new, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> your new book value or, or original cost uh, resets. Got it. Okay. Love it. Um, at- the there's two questions left, which we'll just quickly get through them because we're already at an hour and Rob's a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> but at what point should someone consider credit consolidation? They're just wondering if, if there's like pros and cons to each decision. Yeah, not not the best one to talk to in credit consolidation, but um, I would say like obviously when you're in a situation where you just don't have the cash flow to uh, pay your bills, right? You are, I guess, drowning in debt in, in, in terms of consumer debt. Um, you're looking for a lifeline, really. So I think the first steps are usually like reach out to your creditors to try to come up with a, you know, most will work with you on a, on a maybe a re- revised uh, payment plan. That's the first step because no one, no creditor really wants you to go, um, you know, they don't want to come after you because they're going to get, you know, cents on the dollar if you, um, you know, file for bankruptcy or, or consumer protection. So they'll work with you. You know, start there. And if you just still find yourself drowning, like it's, that's the point where you work with a, you know, credit consolidator and, you know, hopefully you can write a consumer proposal to, you know, wipe out that debt at a reasonable cost. And, uh, but it's big stakes, right? Like this is on your credit file now for many years and, uh, you've got to go through the hard work of rebuilding that. And then the big thing is people think like a consolidation loan or whatever is going to fix all my problems. But the problem that got you there in the first place needs to be addressed as well, you know. So whether that's an overspending or just a lack of, of income in general to sort of maintain your lifestyle, uh, you know, you have to get to the root cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super true. And again, for those two, like, make sure that the consolidation organization that you reach out to is not for profit, because at least then yes. you go for free. Just chat with them and, and get some unbiased advice there as well. Yeah, great point. Um, okay, the last question, and this one's very specific, I think. If you already own a home and you're looking to sell it when you buy again in five to seven years, where would you pull the additional money from? What additional money? Like, is this an upgrade of a home, like a more expensive home? I'm assuming so. Yeah, I'll give you my... Well, I actually just went through that, right? I told you at the start of the show, I just we just sold our, uh, sold our house, but we built a house. And the house we built was more expensive than the house that we sold. Uh, how did we sort of bridge that? Uh, uh, bridge it, plug your ears. We drained our TFSAs to top <laughs> up our down payment, right? And I've done this once before as well, like 10 years ago. So, uh, and then I'll go back to the hard work of maximizing my TFSA by. You know, I don't have to plug my ears. Rob, you know <laughs> that my TFSA is like half empty right now from my down payment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So a lot of people I find like the TFSA is this, you know, you cannot touch this account. Like, and I have retired clients who will just like, I'm contributing to this account until I'm 95 years old. Like, okay. <laughs> um, I see it as a way to further your lifestyle uh, as a medium to long-term account. 
that you'll always incur, you'll always get new, accrue new contribution room. You'll get your contribution room back and you can just start all over again. Uh, so it is a gem of an account. But um, if in this, in this situation, you know, you're going to sell an existing home, but you're buying a more expensive home and you would like to not have, you know, a big, uh, a bigger mortgage at a higher interest rate, um, you know, taking out some money to from your TFSA or, you know, better if you have non-registered money um, to throw into that, that would be, that would be good. Yeah. I feel like what I've learned from this episode is that Rob has no money trauma and it's just, <laughs> right. I can, That's I can not use true. my you know money what? I used, and it'll yeah. come back. I used good. to be really like really frugal, really tight with money, a big saver. And uh, honestly, it's my work with my clients because I, I swear to you, I, half my job is working with my retired clients and convincing them to spend more money Yeah, because I see that they just don't, they don't do it. So now I kind of, I bring that back to my own life and I go like, if I continue doing this, I'm like, I'm not going to double my spending in retirement. And, and, and right. like, and then my, like mine and, and certainly my wife's health is not um, guaranteed in, in 20 years. And so, you know, I'd rather be in that balance, right? The 75,000, not the spend 50 to hopefully spend a hundred um, because I just see it. So that has shaped my spending like that. Um, the, you know, die with zero, I, you know, which I love, yeah. but I sort of take a little bit of grain of salt because the guy's like a billionaire. So <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. B- Bill's having a really good life on his die with zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he could have bought a, like a $10 million annuity just in case. <laughs> and then you know, lived, out, lived out the rest of his life, um, you know. But that stuff has shaped sort of my views on money now too, and, and that's why I have more of a positive outlook. I'm a less judgy planner and more about spending your money. And I call it like maximizing your life enjoyment. That's what I want. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. I think so many people need to hear that. I think I needed to hear it to be honest, because yeah, there's just so much anxiety and fear. Yeah, I mean, it's a tr- tricky balance between YOLO. Right. And, you know, I've got, you know, the Scrooge McDuck retirement plan or I'm swimming in in money in my 90s. Right. (laughs) Like there is a a delicate balance there, but but it's a balance. It's not leaning one way or the other. I'm laughing so hard because if anyone is like 18 years old listening, they'll be like, what's YOLO and who's Scrooge McDuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, I'm dating myself. No, it's amazing. Do you have any other questions, Bridget, that we didn't go over? I don't think so. I actually feel better about listening to this now. It did work. Now I feel less anxious and maybe I don't have to look at my bank accounts and worry if they'll be enough in retirement because they probably are. That's so good to hear. We all know they are. We know they are. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen. And if you're not subscribed yet, you can join our Patreon for bonus episodes, discounts on events, and more. Feel free to drop a review and tell us how much you love the show. And we'll see you next week. You can follow us on Instagram at Rob Engen for Rob, at Mixed Up Money for me, at Bridgie Casey for Bridget, and at Money Feels Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Yeah.